Hello, friends. Nick here. Had to jump in before David and I talked some Nemesis Reloaded to give a quick shout out to our newest patron on Patreon, Justice. Yeah! Justice is a guy we came across on Twitter because of some mutual friends on other great comic book podcasts, and he is always posting positive and cool comic-related stuff, and I just wanted to thank you personally, Justice, for supporting us. I hope you're enjoying the extra episodes and early releases and all that stuff, and if you, the listener, would like to support us and get a bunch of extra stuff too, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash comics. It is never expected, but always appreciated. The usual spiel, yada, yada, yada. Now let's get to some head chopping and sick-ass future bikes. Welcome to None of My Friends Like Comics this is a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a friend about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if that friend, a first-time reader, will pull it or drop it. I'm your host, Nick Poffenbarger, and my co-host today is the man himself, David Nieves. It's about fucking time. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tired of all these David Nieves-less episodes that you've been putting out. We haven't even, like, like we've seen each other a couple of times we since, have, yeah. since Comic-Con back in, uh, back in March, but we've never, we've never gotten together to do this, and I'm always infuriated by not being here. If I don't hear my voice on the internet at least once a month, people should assume I'm dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and especially after, you know, you, you came out of, you came out of Comic-Con and you were the darling of comics Twitter for like <laughs> a couple <Really>? of weeks. <laughs> Everybody's, oh man, this was great. This is great. And you did great stuff. I, I fully give you credit. That was awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, but it's like, oh, you did this, you did that. And people were all like, oh, how do I do this? How do I, I'm listening to all these podcasts that um, you were on and I'm listening to the stuff through feedback and it's also just like cool like all right when do I get to talk Nick again or did I make him too big for me now you can't control the monster now. I can't the fame no monster. no goddamn Dr. <laughs> Jekyll well to be fair we did talk about doing the book we're talking about today at least a while back but we had mm. to wait for it to finish <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. but yeah oh uh, man but um before we get into that though I did want to ask you too like of course What's your just quick thought on that uh, Jason Aaron Punisher thing? Oh, the book? Yeah. I've been really enjoying the book. I mean, I guess it ended recently, but yeah. like, uh, but um, so I didn't jump on that when it first started. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard about it. What got me intrigued was like, it was like maybe like issue four or five. People started talking about kind of the twist it was taking. Mm-hmm. And um, I went back issue hundred, found the first few and, and started following it. Like, so about halfway through the run and I really enjoyed it. Um, the end was like maybe a little predictable by that time. Like it was, it was more exciting when we were in it. <laughs> I think, but I really dug like the story in general. It was a cool, like, you know, crazy new Punisher story that I, <laughs> I, I 98.3% agree with what you just said. Yeah. I really like, I like that story. I like the whole visual. I like the concept going in and telling people like, and showing like that new symbol of the Punisher. Yeah. Like it was all there. It was all cool. And like the story, you know, him being the hand, the, the fist of the hand and everything that, that went along with it. It was it was it was cool like see the moments where he goes up against Aries and all that stuff. Yeah. It was great. 
And like, I got the purpose of it because, you know, for years, Marvel had been trying to detach the Punisher symbol from all the like tiny dick gun nuts that like <laughs> just put a skull on their stuff and like, I'm the Punisher. Blah, yeah. I'm, yeah. And, and they succeeded to an extent, but I, and I don't think it was the right way to kind of take the venom out of all that because, you know, like you read the end, right. And spoilers for yeah. anybody who didn't. So, but it's, and it's a good thing. You should go pick it up and read it. Um, but like at the end, you know, when his reincarnated wife is all, um, no, I was going to divorce, tell you I'm divorcing you that day. Mm-hmm. You kind of like, you, it seemed like they tried to take the venom and reclaim that symbol and do this by just, you know, taking away what essentially made Frank Castle mentally the Punisher and his quest for revenge. And it was kind of like. I don't think that was the right way to do it, especially if what you were trying to accomplish was to take this away from people who had misinterpreted it, because nobody that misinterpreted that symbol gave a shit about who Frank Castle was as a human being and what he had to go through. Well, and they weren't going to read that book anyway, because everybody was pissed about the symbol being different. Or oh, whatever, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but I will say um, when you kind of meta read that book, I actually really identify with what Aaron is saying about the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I feel like he feels like how we do, you know, in, in terms of like even different from Garth Ennis, you know, a little bit wherein like, you know, because I think we talked about it on the last episode you were on the Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. But like uh, we talked about how, you know, Garth um, Garth's kind of approach was like, uh, oh, the Punisher was born like, you know, out of war, out mm-hmm. of Vietnam and whatnot. And I kind of like Aaron's take a little bit more in like the modern context because he's saying like, nah, he was fucked up before all that, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, and like, and I really enjoyed the, the sequencing of, um, uh, you know, the, the flashbacks and like the early days of Frank and, um, you know, him like, and, and Maria, you know, and stuff like that. It was, it brought a lot of like really neat melodrama to it. And, I, um, yeah. And, and, but, and to be fair, like that is actually a great way of saying, yeah, like the Punisher was always going to be the Punisher no matter what. Yeah. But yeah. from what, like, you know, let's let's take kind of the whole Joker theory of the universe and where it takes just one bad day to push somebody over the edge. You add or you take away that one thing for Frank Castle and it makes his whole quest for revenge, no matter how, you know, how vigilante and over the over the line it goes, it takes the kind of takes a point out of it. And not to say that it wasn't a good story because it was by the end of the book I or by the end of that run. I, I liked it. I liked the story still. Like I, you know, let's, let's talk in terms about like, if I was reviewing this, could I have come up with a better way to do that? No, I don't think I could have. Would it been the way I would have chosen to do it? Maybe not, but you know, it just kind of made this character and it's not like they'll never bring it back, but it was just a weird way for, for the run to end to me. And it had been so great leading up to that point. Yeah. I, I think, um, my thing with the book, and I'd say like overall, it's it's a definite uh, recommend from me, and I totally. really and I really enjoyed it. But the uh, the story is literally told, interspersing two different parts. Like what we were just saying, how there's like there's the flashback stuff that gives the context and the the kind of reexamination of Frank, and it's purposefully done in a way where it's like we never see him in the war, like we've seen mm-hmm. ten thousand times. It's like it's all his home life, all his family life, like pre-war and after war, even before the family was murdered and whatnot. But the modern stuff, the Jesus Saiz drawn stuff, um, when he's, uh, you know, the, the fist of the hand and all that shit. And like, uh, and it's the, the, the story, basically those two halves for me never quite matched 
like where it's like I was always captivated by the uh, examination stuff, the, the flashbacks, the modern story was really cool and I was into it, but it was it was kind of one of those like goofier, like kind of like, oh, the Punisher taking on some mystical kind of quality <laughs> things. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love reading those stories, like going back. I mean, I've, I've been on record, I think, on this show saying I really like Frankencastle. I like, you know, the the Angel Punisher shit. <laughs> like, you know, it's like all that stuff is like really fun to read. And the fist of the hand thing isn't quite that level. It's like almost there, but like it's it's a little below but still above your average it, like vigilante punisher story it was a little b movie yeah in, in a sense but it was in one of those like b movie things that is like it's still kind of good actually like yeah you know and just to like not talk about the punisher all day <laughs> but it just kind of like at the end of the day i'm curious to see like how history is going to remember this run of the punisher because whatever comes next uh, whether it's like, oh, a completely different character is going to be the Punisher. Uh, and you should. You, you, I think the Punisher, like we were talking about mantles at one point. I think that actually, like if the world's going to treat it as a mantle, you treat it as a mantle. You make the Punisher a woman. Make the Punisher a person of color character. Like, yeah, to legitimize kind of like that the mission of it and the whole anti-copness of it and anti, you know, establishment of it. We could use a different, a radically different take. On oh yeah. Punisher at this point, every, every other hero, like major, you know, superhero has had a vastly different take. The Punisher, not so much. We got like 2099 Punisher and like, that was about <laughs> it, you know, like, and it's like that, like, I, I don't know. And I mean, like saying different takes, like Frank Castle's been through a lot, obviously, like we just mentioned Frank and Castle and shit like that. But like, you know, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I mean, let's just fuck it. Do something else. You know, and <laughs> you know? and, and like, it's, but... it's so weird now. Like, and you're going to trigger me into these other things. But like you said, 2099 and we're like in 2023. And like logistically, we now know people who will live to see 2099. <laughs> that's if that's true. actually so we'll have them meet Miguel O'Hara or whatever other shit's going on at the time. And that cool Dr. Strange lady uh, from 2099. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Doom 2099. Doom. Doom. Yeah. yeah. But. And then, oh, the other thing we were talking about a little while ago, I was curious, it's gone on, is um, the whole uh, ultimate secret, super secret ultimate invasion. Ultimate invasion. And it's just kind of like, we're just kind of like, yeah, it's it's cool. Like, and I and I am on board. Like, first issue came out. I like it. I'm going to go into issue two and see where it goes. Um, But it really has this kind of feel of like a tagline of like, well, what if the Flash did Flashpoint to be just the dickhead? (laughs) Yeah, true enough. But we'll see where it takes it. You know me. I always have faith in Hickman no matter what. So <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. To be deceptive, we're not talking about anything Marvel related at this point other than the people who have worked on this book because, Nick, what are we talking about today? Yeah. It, well, you know what, David? Yeah, we're uh, we're we're here. We're back. You could say we're reloaded. Because uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, today we are talking about a book that... um. Uh, I think it was the episode right before we did Punisher Kills Marvinas because you were on for a triptych of episodes there. No, I think we, we did Nemesis. Um, was I think that was the second thing we ever did, right? We recorded it a long time ago, but I released it like in conjunction. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. Because you don't like me being on this show. <laughs> Uh, more than once a season. You had like three in a row. Oh, oh throw me. Yeah, well, because you had no other guest at the time. No, we were. Uh, hype, I think we were hyping up the show and stuff oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, so a long while ago when we actually recorded this conversation, we talked about the Mark Miller, Steve McNiven icon 
produced book nemesis nemesis yes. yeah and um there we mentioned it on that episode because we recorded that before it ever premiered but uh there was a sequel that is now out and done it was 13 years in the making and it was called nemesis reloaded <laughs> oh god like every time an issue came out we were texting we were- <laughs> each other and just like did you read this did, did you, you read, read this? and you read issue one before i did yes and you were just trying to like you were containing yourself from telling me what was <laughs> I in was, it. I was like, and I was like, I was like, shut the fuck up. I haven't read it yet. I had a harder time keeping my thoughts in an uh, issue five, the final issue, but we'll, we'll get into why. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, but like going in, like every time it came out, I was just like, okay, I like every Wednesday that it came out, I would like, oh man, I had to read it like within the first 30 <laughs> minutes of waking up because I knew like I would hear from you and I didn't want to like get anything ruined for me. Actually, also though, I did miss issue three initially because I ended up reading issue four and then seeing a lot of stuff happen that I didn't remember. And I was like, oh shit. And I didn't realize like I totally missed issue three. And that was the only issue you didn't text me about for some reason because you're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just because that one is such a I mean, it, it, granted, it's the middle issue, but it's a very middle piece issue. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's I kind of I couldn't see where it was exactly where it was going yet, you know, until about the, the end of the fourth issue. But yeah, let's we'll get into some facts and background here real quick, because uh, Nemesis Reloaded comes to us from Miller World and is distributed by Image Comics it is a five issue miniseries that premiered. which will be very. Very important by the end of it. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I didn't like, we were talking, cause we talked initially about like, oh, who's it going to be this time? Who's it going to be? And like, I think I had said like, dude, it's going to be like Dave Zelinsky or somebody and kick ass, yeah. kick ass. We were just, and we were just kind of like, yeah, we're like, that's an icon thing. Image the, and just, oh, okay. Right, so yeah. No, 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 no. It's okay. Yeah. So, but it premiered with issue one in January of 2023, concluded with issue five in May of 2023. Hot off the presses with this one, baby. Look at us being current on I know. Friends like comics. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's so good to be current. So it is once again written by Mark Miller, but um, a big change here. McNiven's not on this book. Um, uh, we actually have the Boo. art by. <laughs> we have the art by Jorge Jimenez and colors by Giovanna oh, Nero. Okay and lettered by Clem Robbins. Um, So for a non-spoiler description, I'm going to do this like a commercial, like a late night commercial that you'd see when you were up and, you know, your parents didn't know you were watching TV. Okay, Nemesis, you know, the guy in a white costume who was like Batman if he sucked. Well, he's back. Why? I don't know. Probably to hurt a bunch of people and say naughty words and money. Probably to make a lot of money. So watch out, snowflakes. You better not read this around your parents because this ain't your granddad's superhero comic. This one says fuck and talks about dicks. <laughs> That's very 1999 uh, through 2001. <laughs> or like if Limp, if Limp Biscuit had created this book, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And no, I, but you're right because like I, I remember when we talked about the first series, my gripe with it was like all those covers that had the stupidest fucking phrases on them. Like, they were the worst. Crime is awesome, and so am I. Yeah, they were the worst. Oh my god, they were. Yeah, I but hate it. Uh, well, so. Put all cynicism aside here. Here's my actual description of the book. But uh, Nemesis is back and is getting the soft reboot treatment. When our white clad villain shows up in L.A. to wreak havoc, nobody is prepared. But is this just a game of anarchy or is something more at play here? That's all I could do for non-spoilers. Talk about first uh, experience and expectations here. I mean, if you listen to the episode we did on the first Nemesis series, you know that we were both uh, surprisingly open to Miller like doing this book Mm -hmm. we were both like I wonder what he's gonna do no like (laughs) Like, I remember like us both going like no the the series isn't actually worth 
like, we both dropped it. We, we both would not pick it up again had you had a choice. But we were very much like, but damn, do I want to know what he can do with, like, with going back to this? Yeah. And I believe your exact words were, he can't get away with this shit again. No. <laughs> 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 Which is like, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but did you, uh, I mean, uh, with all that in mind, you know, when you did go to pick up the first issue and whatnot. Um, uh, did, did you have any uh, specific expectations going into this one? You know, it's, it's not a series that you had fond memories of and were like, oh man, they're just going to ruin it and doing this this time. Because I, I know, jokingly, I booed um, uh, George Jimenez at, at the at the start of this, but actually I like him as an artist. And oh, it actually great. is yeah, like- We'll talk about him quite a bit. And, <laughs> you know, like right from the get-go- like he shows you why he was actually the perfect choice if yeah. you weren't going to have Steve McNiven on this book, especially, um, you know, after having read like the Batman stuff and all that. It was literally like he took everything that he did from Batman and just amplified it like by 10 here. And, you know, initially, like I didn't know I was afraid of just getting a total rehash of the series. And in in a way, it kind of does, and you'll get into the reasons through the, through these books. But, yeah. So it it did go into a territory that I was afraid of, but it managed to like pull itself out of that that drop, and then go into somewhere where you're like, oh, okay, this is like interesting, and I didn't expect it to be this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess all I all I really have to say about like my expectations were I was more curious than anything because I like you, I was like, there's no way he can do that again, you know, and like people would be okay with it, you know, <laughs> like it just it just wouldn't work that way. And like I I was like I I was pretty convinced even without reading any of the press stuff. I was like this is going to be a, a retooling. Like mm. this isn't going to be like a sequel like like at the end of the last one spoilers, but Nemesis is killed and then we find out that he wasn't really the person he was pretending to be the whole time and there's like this organization that funds supervillains and oh, like, the first series. It, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And and so I was like, there might be a subtle hint to that, and maybe this'll be a quote unquote new nemesis, but it's just gonna kind of be like a reintroduction of the concept and the idea just in a different setting, you know, in the modern day or whatever. But I, I thought that that was the most it was gonna do if it acknowledged the first series at all. <laughs> and yeah. Like, and and so I was I was pretty ready for it to be a reboot and you know like i said in my description it is like a soft reboot miller even calls it that in his little note before mm -hmm. the first issue you know so i mean it is a reimagining and uh just a retooling and uh you know so i was actually kind of happy to see that though too because it was like oh i don't want to be reminded of that first series really so I was like, but, <laughs> but besides the cool mcniven art but but yeah i mean i'm uh, i don't i don't know you wanted to, we could just jump on into yeah, the story into here yeah okay so going to the story portion here of the show this is where we recap the book beat by beat and tell you what we thought along the way that means full spoilers ahead so you have been warned right up top we get some narration in the scene that says everything you heard before is a lie this is my story. This is how it all began. Might as well just say reboot, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's no confusion right at the front. So we start off seeing a man. He steps out of his country Wisconsin home. Uh, he has a shotgun in hand and he looks around, sees nothing, then goes back inside. He yells to his wife that there's nothing wrong. It's just like, you know, the wind or whatever. And he complains about having to check on everything since she was scared. Uh, he goes back into their bedroom and sees her with a look of horror on her face and asks what's wrong. She starts to sweat and replies, he's under the bed, Jake. And we see our boy Nemesis smiling under the bed with guns drawn. And can I just let me just get this blanket statement out of the way and talk about how 
goddamn great Jorge Jimenez is real quick because uh, this, the expressions, the sense of motion, like even in just this very simple two page opening is also great. He if you have not if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Jorge Jimenez's uh, style before, it's wonderful. It's so quintessentially comic booky, but it's like. It's just a it's alive, man. I don't know how to how to describe it otherwise. You know, like, like so so for people who have read comic books but maybe have never seen uh George Jimenez Jimenez's style, it's really like it's a mix of Capullo's kind of like line style with like the action of what Jim Lee brings to the table. Yeah, that's a very I never thought of the Capullo kind of uh comparison, but that really works. Yeah. Like it is it is literally like like he could storyboard out a movie and it would on paper be like one of the best movies visually because his style is so it's so leans into the cinematic action elements of comics. Yeah. Like I said, just the he's in big superhero comics. He's one of the ones that I think is honestly the best in terms of just like it sounds like a, a thing modern that, day. I think he's one of the best. I think he's one of the best in general. But like with the way he approaches his stuff, uh, the thing that I always think of is that sense of motion. It's mm-hmm. always there. Like everything feels like everything's very kinetic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like with it, you. it's just and it's kind of like maybe maybe like Dan Mora kind of matches that. Mm. I think a little bit his his is probably a bit more static than him and his. But his, like, his, his style, Dan Mora style is a little bit more stoic and yeah, and pose and posing. Yeah. Posing, yeah. Yeah. I can think of more stuff like that from him. But like, I mean, when when I, I guess I'm thinking of something more like once in future when like uh, Mora can do like, you know, that like that like running like actiony type stuff like really well when he wants to he just doesn't always do it you know but like him and his it's like it's like he can't help but do it mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like everything's always moving and like always like alive and stuff and totally it's really great but i we're gonna bring up sequences obviously that he does um throughout the book but i just had to get that kind of blanket statement out of the way right off the bat because this first two pages like it just brings it to attention immediately you know <laughs> but yeah uh we skip on over to los angeles where a couple of rich uh, socialites are exiting a club, and one of them is a gang leader named Carlos. And uh, they get in their car with their driver. They talk sort of pretentiously about Quentin Tarantino movies for a bit <laughs> and stuff. And it's that's like, a very Mark Miller thing. It is, yeah. And while while they're on the highway, though, Nemesis flies in on a new toy gadget, which uh, we named. What do we the, name him? Uh, the Nimadrone. It's got to be uh, right? the uh, the, the Nimaglide. The Nimaglider. Or is that too much like a sex thing? <laughs> they're all Nima something. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so he, 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 you know, flies in on this thing, kicks in the windshield, grabs Carlos, busts through the sunroof and grabs back onto the drone, soaring into the night with his hostage. It's a really cool sequence. But <laughs> we, we next see Carlos with like a gadget on his head and uh, it's blinding him. And he asks where he is. Nemesis says that they're in a swimming pool. And we uh, cut back to see Carlos like surrounded by like a hundred other people with the same thing. Oh, he's got it, dude. But did you see like how that gadget looks so much like uh, the Apple VR thing? It does it? look like a VR helmet. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> and who could like. afford them? But Nemesis. Nemesis yes. yes. <laughs> but Nemesis goes on to say that the devices on their heads are bombs, so they can't take them off without activating them. He reveals uh, these people in the pool are all of the gang bosses in L.A., and then tells them that the only way out of the pool is to be the last man standing. And he tells them that they all have like, you know, weapons in their pockets, like knives and razor blades and shit like that. And as someone from L.A., I can tell you that, yes, all the gang bosses yes, would fit in one pool. This is <laughs> this is accurate. Yeah. But Carlos yells that uh, he won't play some game like this. And uh, but he is instantly stabbed by the man behind him starting this big free for all. 
And while the bosses like are murdering each other, Nemesis speaks to a group assembled outside of the pool. Apparently, these are all of the, uh, you know, like second in command guys. And uh, he says that he's like, I'm not infringing on like your territory or anything. I don't give a shit about any of that. I just need henchmen for seven days and then you guys can be the bosses. You know, (laughs) like that's the whole thing. And so he mentions how like the new mayor that just got elected will be like a problem for them. But if they follow his lead and help him out, uh, he'll bury the new mayor like he currently is doing with their bosses. At the end of this, you know, we see Carlos uh, shouts out among the dead bodies asking if he is the last man standing. And Nemesis says that he is. And he just shoots him in the head. You know what I really love about like even from like the last series and this series is like it can introduce a character and like you can be fooled into thinking like, oh, they're going to be important somehow. Nah, nah, fuck them. Nope. <laughs> shot to the head uh, we then get an extended action scene that uh, starts with nemesis riding on the highway on a newly designed nemesicle which was a favorite of ours from the last book um, oh the, uh, yeah <laughs> so, i love this this is very this is a very tron cycle this is a yeah it's way more tron yeah and sci-fi than the uh than the mcniven ones were at least because the mcniven ones if i remember right at least like his car it was kind of just like a really sleek mercedes or something yeah they like were that. all more based in reality stuff i mean like I, let's com- compare McNiven's um, stuff to like bat gadgets of like the Christopher Nolan visual stuff. Yeah, something that could really work Ex- in the world. Yeah. yeah, and this is more of like Batman Beyond kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it very much. That's a that's a good comparison. But yeah, so as he rides, like it's this whole thing. Like he launches off of a truck ramp into like an exhibit complex that is showcasing uh, what, what. There's a big sign that says the Melanie Du Bois collection, and this scene is interesting because we get the uh, full scope of what Miller is retconning here because Nemesis thinks during this scene and I'll just quote it here but he says I've traveled the world honing my cruelty since I was 10 years old learning at the feet of murderers and gang masters and drug lords and despots now I'm back to unleash holy terror on this so-called city of angels it took a hell of a hit during COVID all the techies and actors got out while they could the cops so demoralized they stopped answering calls but that's nothing compared to what I've got in store 20 years I've been making these plans in 7 days time these fuckers will find out why so yeah he's (laughs) He tells you we are getting a new origin, new motivation, all that jazz. Anything can happen, basically, for like, you know, it's it if it wasn't made clear before. But dude, I so I, I think like the last time, too, we talked about favorite writers and things like this. And I, I would I think I remember I would probably put Mark Miller on one of my my favorites list just because like of what happens next. And like I, you'll describe it. <laughs> but there is nobody, I think, who does the Marvel method of making comics as well as Mark Miller does. And this is why he always, well, yeah. And a lot of credit that goes to also just the fact that he knows how to pick his fucking artists, you know, like, I mean, he, he really does. And, uh, but so, cause as we see after nemesis jumps off the ramp, you know, he, uh, he drops in and it's like this beautiful sequence. Like there are all these like fancily dressed people around. Uh, he throws a katana through a dude's head, slices a guy's torso in half. He's chopping limbs off people. Just just slaughters like this whole room of like these like pretentious guests, you know. And it's rendered in such an action packed stylistic way that we talked about him and as a style is so poignant and leans into this in terms of like this is straight up like when you if you were to VFX um, plot out a movie or, you know, a- animatic for these things, like this is what it would look like. Yeah, I, that's that's a big thing with his style, too, is it's so easy to follow. 
like he's so good at like plotting where the the point of view will be that mm-hmm. like you know it's like you see exactly how he's moving like without even doing like you know shading of the back end or whatever it's like no you like it, it looks like how he would move he you know? stays like, within like that three walls rule of uh filmmaking and like you never it's so you never really get disoriented by anything that he's doing no not even though it is fucking terribly gross yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so it, on top of you know chopping up most of these people um he released a gas that kills like you know a bunch of people real quick anyway it's and a bunch of his goons come in at this point one of the ladies asks if they are safe from the gas and nemesis says that that's why they took like all these uh shots that he provided them and whatnot so they're good to go nemesis tells like the goons to fill up their bags with all the priceless stuff in the exhibit and this is what's going to fund them he then tells them uh to leave all their guns for him to have like easy reach and whatnot Mm. as the cops will be there soon we then cut to show the celebration ceremony for the new mayor, Joe Costello. And Nemesis explains that uh, Costello has big plans to clean up the streets. Uh, he, we find out, you know, he was a former cop and he was the DA for a while. And he took like this big, tough stance on crime and uh, the people trust him. And much like Blake Morrow from the original story, uh, he seems like a pretty stand up guy. Although Joe, I will say right off the bat, even uh, seems much more of like a, a realistic person than Blake than ever like, felt. Yes. Off. <laughs> Right. But uh, but anyway, like uh, back at the uh, the gala, you know, Nemesis waits for more cops to, you know, show up while he wields this futuristic looking bazooka. But back at the celebration, Costello calls for uh, the new police chief, Wendy Gomez, to come up and join him. And she does. Well, her body does. Um, it, it is dropped down above the stage and hung by a rope in front of the big screen behind them. And everybody is super shocked. Uh, then the power goes out and we hear Nemesis speak. Were we do you remember when we first when we talked about the first series when he did the whole like trap to um, catch him, but it turned out that he wanted to get caught and we yeah. were like, oh, that's straight out of the dark night. And then like this moment here is like, oh, he drops a body of somebody on t- like that's the, the dark, dark night. night. <laughs> 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 He likes that movie, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, so, but Nemesis speaks on a broadcast uh, being streamed to everyone here. And he says, hello, children. Don't worry. There's nothing to be afraid of. If I wanted you dead, you'd be choking on your guts right now. You don't know me, but I've got such a plan for this place. And in seven days time, everything will be clear. Only one thing stands in the way of my scheme. And it's all these extra cops on the streets. So I pulled a hundred million dollar heist this evening, the proceeds of which I'm going to share with all the little people. We see this dialogue over a bunch of civilians watching it broadcasted on TV. Joe and his wife look on in horror as Nemesis is shown at the gala parking lot. Cop cars are overturned and there's fire all around. Dead cops kind of litter the lot and he shoots one in the head live on camera and ends the broadcast by saying, Are you listening out there? Because this is quite an offer. I'm putting a bounty on the head of every police officer in the city. I'll pay you 10 grand for every dead cop. And that's how we cap off issue one. How are you feeling after reading this one? You know, like when when you first texted me about it and like... And we'll dive into like the overall thoughts of it more, but it was just like, this is, this is a stamp in time, so to speak. Like, you know, the the first and the first one was kind of like it, it, it very much showed when you read it now, it very much shows its age. And like, as you go on, you'll see more of like his underlining themes with this one and kind of like. Oh, it stamps itself in time, too. It does. Yeah, I, I almost the, the ending of this issue led me to kind of think like, oh, is he going to do like a straight up more politically charged thing mm-hmm. like like this whole ish, this whole series? And uh, spoilers, uh, sort of. 
<laughs> but, but not really. You know, I mean, like it's like it, it kind of leads you to believe like this is going to be like almost the entire plot, you know, is like is him like, you know, getting the city right second, having all the dead cops and stuff. But really, it's just like the first phase in his plan type of thing. But but, you know, anyway, so issue two starts off and we see a police captain Cooper examining a crime scene of two dead cops in an alley and it looks like the public is taking up nemesis on his offer apparently it was actually uh, some school kids who like faked a domestic dispute call and then they just like ambushed the cops in the alley and killed them and they like take their badges and turn them in for the money or whatever you know cops on the scene though they're, they're kind of oddly relieved and optimistic because they're like we got one of our own in office that uh, joe costello you know he's he's great and he's gonna he's gonna figure this out or whatever you know and so cutting to joe uh he's at the Bois gala with the proprietor couple which uh, their names are fabrice and melanie and nemesis left a literal piece of shit on one of the necklace displays and fabrice is pissed uh, he chastises joe for you know not taking care of this already and uh, he even mentions how he's like this big donor to his election and whatnot and uh, joe stands tall though uh, saying his duty is firstly to the people not rich donors and he then tells fabrice that him and his wife might want to get out of town for a while since they are clearly targets of nemesis and while walking outside Fabrice's staff tell him that while they were gone, Fabrice's house was actually ransacked and all that was left was some furniture. At the same time, Joe gets told that uh, they sent the stool sample in to, uh, you know, test and see like genetically who they might be dealing with at a nemesis. <laughs> but it's a it's a genetic match for the first lady. And Joe is extremely agitated by this and yells, shit, who the hell is this guy and why is he fucking with me like this? <laughs> and we then get cut to Nemesis, who is watching the scene unfold through some binoculars. He has his crew around him, and one of the members, Jake, the old man from issue one, who we saw him get, said that there must be some mistake. You see, all of Nemesis's crew, you know, criminal types and whatnot, but Jake and his wife Margot are just retired shopkeeps. And Nemesis shushes Jake and uh, tells him that, you know, you guys are a part of the plan, don't worry. And we then get a big old flash back framed like an old movie sequence and i really love the title cards like to the beginning of this when they first flash back it's like it says like nemesis and then there's like the silent movie text that says like who he is and how he came to be it just feels very like tongue-in-cheek and kind of sarcastic and i know that i kind of criticized that element of the original miniseries but i'm like if you're gonna be like have like kind of a snarky asshole character i kind of like little things like this at least where it's like showing just like a a weird kooky kind of uh you know aesthetic i think it really kind of like boils down to you know has it like yeah the one scene when they're talking about quentin tarantino and his style of movies and like so there's like an underlying meta theme of frustration that this wasn't a movie before you know yeah yeah that's true because i think um we'll talk about the forward that he did in issue one a little bit but um he did he does mention Mm -hmm. up top about how he's like sold the rights to this you know immediately it sat around for 10 years and now it's been sitting around for eight years at some other place he's just like whatever (laughs) like so i'm doing this book you know (laughs) but yeah so we get nemesis's revised origin here and you may recognize a few things firstly his name is matthew anderson and his parents were arrested on his 10th birthday this time around though matthew's parents were told to be killing hitchhikers that was the whole thing that they got caught for. So the, instead of uh, in the original, they were like these hoity-toity kind of like uh, eyes wide shut types who were kidnapping young teenage runaways. <laughs> yeah, but in the original, didn't it turn out that 
Like he just used that as a cover story and he wasn't actually He's, Matthew he Anderson. He said it was fake. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of that one. But that, and, that was the, the origin we saw in the last. Yeah. Movie, and so like, as you read this, this, and you're reading through this and you're kind of wonder as you're looking through it, it's like, okay, is this going to be, That's, is he using the same cover? That was my first thought yeah. too. I was like, I was like, is this fake? But yeah. So basically the story that he gives is that, uh, you know, Matthew's parents were killing hitchhikers. The police found nine bodies in total and the chief arresting officer was a young Joe Costello. So his parents seem to be more like uh, grubby, like drug peddlers in this one. And there's a neat sequence where he talks about how it took uh, three injections and 20 minutes for his mom to die. And it was like, cool. <laughs> but, but Matthew, it was it was a lot better than in the first series when that old lady was like, who you have to go after this person. Yeah. They made the champagne stop like that was such a and granted the whole point of it was to be hoity toity, but it was not very like super villain. No, no, no. It was just like straight up. You're just like, you're weird. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is this is more like, OK, there's some these are nefarious people. Yeah. Yeah. And so Matthew, though, not being satisfied with the care system, becomes a, a little street vagrant and he's like, you know, stealing everything to survive until one day at a truck stop diner, he tries to take this fancy looking blonde lady's purse and she immediately calls him out. Curiously, she doesn't really like freak out on him, though. She's just like, you're going to put that back. Like, if you know it's good for you or whatever. She says that he has potential and she knows someone who could hone it for him. Her unknown boss is said to rarely extend invitations. And all that Matthew has to do is drink this cup of coffee. Does this has. remind you of anything at this point? <laughs> it didn't at first. No. Okay, but now... It- now yes yes, yes. okay we'll get into that <laughs> we'll go into it but yeah i rereading this i was like why didn't i understand <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know i wasn't open to it like before for whatever reason but uh so the, there's also like at the diner there's this weird diner manager guy and he's he's like here you go uh, it's on the house you know and matthew drinks it and he passes out when he wakes up he's in a fighting pit surrounded by torches and there's like these robed uh, cultist looking people and a man with a horned mask speaking to him from on high and the masked man tells matthew that if he tries to leave, dogs will be sicked on him. He's then handed a spear and sees another young boy in the circle with him. The masked man says that they must fight to prove they are worthy of what he offers. And Matthew is like, I'm not killing anybody. But the other kid doesn't hesitate and he slices Matthew's side and they begin to fight. Matthew takes the kid down by stabbing his leg and then finishes him off when the masked man encourages him to cut to a second trial where Matthew has to hold himself up under a uh, Yosemite Falls waterfall for three days. And the masked man, who Matthew now refers to in his uh, dialogue as the the master, sits on a nearby ridge and talks to him. There's a cool detail, too, here where Matthew says uh, he doesn't know how, but through some form of power, the master kept them from being seen by, like, these hiking uh, tourists during this, like, by the falls and stuff. He's, like, clearly there on the rocks, but, like, nobody seems to notice and stuff. So it's, like, there's a, a weird, mysterious power going on here. So he asks Matthew why he continues to survive, and Matthew tells him revenge. The master asks what if he called his parents a couple of junky scumbags, and Matthew says that, well, they were still my parents, and, you know, I learned everything I know from them. So, and uh, the master then kind of goads Matthew on by telling him that Joe Costello and the other police involved in his parents bust are doing real well for themselves and joe's even lined up for some big important things matthew gets mad and he yells never i'll kill him before i let that happen which leads the master to hitting matthew off the waterfall and telling him to prove it so back in the modern day we see uh, captain cooper who is uh you know the acting chief right now since uh, wendy was killed and he's with joe in a helicopter surveying la and it just looks like hell and uh, all of a sudden though nemesis launches from an airbound you know Nim- mobile <laughs> and, uh, and he crashes through it 
through the helicopter side window, grabs Cooper, and as they tumble down towards the street, Joe yells out for Cooper as the issue ends. Issue three picks up right there. Um, uh, we see Nemesis still carrying Cooper. He grapple hooks to like a building and swings them into like a nearby complex. He does not kill him, but Joe like just assumes that Cooper's dead. He calls for all available units to his location, but they find nothing. We even see him argue with Du Bois on the phone, and uh, Du Bois says that he's like, "I'm embarrassed that we ever backed your campaign or whatever," and you know, "Good luck, we're getting out of town or whatever." And Joe uh, says goodbye to his wife and kid as they head out of the city. He's telling her to uh, go to their sister's place just to be safe. And uh, he then gets a call from an officer, Eddie Ramirez, who Joe was trying to get a hold of, apparently. And Joe tells Eddie to be careful because after Nemesis took out Wendy and now presumably Cooper, Joe thinks that Nemesis is targeting him and their old crew meaning the crew that arrested the Andersons. And when it, when a cop says they have a crew, chances are like they're crooked. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the first like, well, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of chick in the arm. I mean, I guess you could just assume they were a group of good cops like doing stuff, but you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's fishy anyway. So Eddie, who's on a police boat at this time comes across a buoy and Cooper is actually tied up to the buoy and uh, they get close and Cooper says that it's a trap, but Nemesis is already on the boat. He knocks out all the officers besides Eddie, uh, he, but he says that he just tranked him. He didn't actually kill him. He then tells him, turn off the engine. And uh, we get this Billy Badass moment where he tells Eddie to fire his gun at him. And when Eddie asks why, he says to show him how fast he is. And uh, he knocks out Eddie with a baton avoiding the shot like he just throws the baton at his head and uh it's kind of cool it is is. whatever he then drags cooper on the boat ties them up and wakes them up as the boat is sinking and the other officers are at like the bottom of the boat so they're closer to the water and they're all like drowning as nemesis is like asks if he's like he's like do you know who i am like you know (laughs) just like like talking to these two and they say no and he tells them straight up that he's matthew anderson you guys caught my parents it fucked me up blah 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 you know and eddie apologizes with tears in his eyes and nemesis has like this is the point where i actually thought like there might be something to this book because like nemesis has like a weirdly human moment where he tells him like he's like i actually believe you i believe that you're sorry you know And, and he says i want you to think of my parents while you drown because you know maybe you'll see them like you know once once you get to the bottom or whatever and it's like this is a way more human version of the character i mean he gives off some genuine emotion and motivation in this book and it does kind of make you I don't want to say root for him, but like it, it does make the story more of like a tragedy instead of being like this lame, like nihilistic rated R Deadpool fest we got with the first one. So, like, you know, like in <laughs> and this is the big difference between the two series, if you haven't picked up on it already, is that like in the first series, there was clearly a, a mudded good guy and and just an awful force of nature that there didn't have no in between, no in between. Yeah. And you realize that, and he kind of does by pulling out the rug is that no, like there was never really any other motivation other than some rich asshole needing to get his kicks in. This is more of a world where there clearly are no good guys. Everybody's story is a tragedy. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But but it is moments like these, like with him on the boat with these two cops um, that definitely I think they 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 elevate this book beyond what the previous one was totally to me, like for sure. And that's that's like the main takeaway, I think, of uh, of just me while I was reading this as it was coming out. And I was like, I'm actually kind of invested, you mm-hmm. know, like it's like it's it's not making me cringe like, you know, 24 seven. So I'm like, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, Nemesis tells his uh, lackey to cut the power to the city now to see how they all deal with a little darkness. And uh, we then get an extremely interesting flashback. Honestly, upon this is the one that I was like, upon rereading this, 
I don't know how I didn't see some version of the ending to this book coming, but we see another trial young Matthew went through. He spends over three days climbing to the bottom of this long, like, you know, hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he gets down, the master is waiting there for him with a book. He says it holds the world's biggest secret and he tells Matthew to read it. How but the fuck it- did you not know? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Dude. I, 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 my eyes must have glazed over when I first read this because I was like, I was like, whoa, okay. Like, you know. but, oh, 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 weird. What an, another secret society in weird, a Mark Miller book. Weird. Oh, okay. Huh. Oh, <laughs> but, man, but that guy he, loves the secret society. Yeah, but he tells Matthew to read it, but it can never leave this chamber. And the book title reads A White House in Crisis by President Edward Gerald Marshall. When Matthew asks what it's about, the master says, it is the memoirs of a president the world forgot between Carter and Reagan. And he reveals there is a literal key in the book, but he isn't ready for the secret door. And he says a bunch of other cryptic shit. That's about it. But Matthew then asks how the world just forgets a president. And the master says that that is the riddle that you must solve. And back in L.A., Lights have gone out. Everybody's going crazy. National Guard shows up. But Nemesis has a bunch of semi-trucks meet them, like at the border of the city. And he then gets on a loudspeaker, tells them to lay down their weapons, or they will be wiped out. And he tells them that his suicide bomber is en route. And we then get a few pages of backstory about this suicide bomber that he's saying. And I I love these long, (laughs) drawn out, um, like, totally didn't need to do this backstory of this personal thing that is about to uh, yeah. not matter at all in a few seconds. Oh yeah. But like, I appreciate how like the evil villainous plan is so drawn out and long game and it's so good. I can s- appreciate that, but the extent that this story goes to that we're about to go over no, is no, no, so but, but ridiculous. You, you have to like, so picture you're writing you're Mark Miller and you're writing this and you're like, oh, OK, there's just going to be somebody in a this is going to be a suicide bomber coming like, no, nah, I need to explain this, but I need to like do it to where it's like it's a, it's clearly fits with this character and it just needs to happen really quick. Didn't have to matter, but it's got to make sense and it's got to be something smart and intricate. And then you have to think about all the steps you have to go through in order to make this happen. Like I appreciate him going the mile to show the effort and not just making it a, a nameless criminal go- mastermind. <laughs> but but basically, like it's some trademark like edgelord nemesis shit here. Yeah. But, but basically, this lady uh, who's the suicide bomber is an airline pilot. Nemesis had it's it, this is like something that happened over years, apparently, too. But like uh, Nemesis had a mature looking 17 year old uh, guy seduce her without knowing his age. It was filmed and used as blackmail to have her eventually like be suckered into like doing a porn. And then the porn was used to blackmail her to murder a guy. And it just goes on and on. Like they just, yeah, they just it didn't <laughs> just happen once. Like, yeah, like because it, it, it wasn't like um, like the Batman animated series. Of it's a like, slow breaking. Yeah, it, it wasn't like, the oh, the one favor like this was like very this was steps yeah. to this person that's about to crash a plane. And like it is it, it's so intricately done. I appreciate it being in there. Yeah. Yeah. I like I said, I appreciate Miller going the mile to like think of that totally. and, and then like actually because because it does do the thing like the last series did over and over again where it's like no like this guy is 
fucked up and he will do like fucked up stuff like you know to to a crazy extent to to get his way and to and to plan it out like yeah so, like this so thinking of the you know and let, let's say like this is a fictional world and you don't endorse anything that's happening here or would happen in or ever happen in real life but on a, on a on a sense in a comic book world. So like in the first series, you looked at the things that were happening. You're like, that's over the line. Like it's, it's kind of, it's the it's, whole it's kidnapping just, the, the kids it's, and it's, one of them gets pregnant. Like it's, it's gross. Yeah. And this is just the right level of, Oh, this is fucking, this is devious and I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Like on, on some kind of like, you know, villainous level, you're like, Ooh, yeah. You know? Like, yeah. It's like, I, I get that. Yeah. So, but basically like long story short, he broke her down with secrets until she was willing to die. You know, like that, that was the thing of it. And he radios in to tell her to land the plane. We then see her, you know, flying a plane above the semi trucks, all of which have red arrows. They, some of them have written on their crash right here, yep. pointing to the National Guard. And she crashes on the street and it's a slaughterhouse. I got to ask about this plane crash sequence. though. like, does it stand up to the plane sequence in the first one? Because because I think it, it's, it over. I think. So, like, the plane sequence in the first one was when he was walking with the Nema magnet boots. <laughs> yeah. And he shoots the, the pilots. And he shoots the pilots. Yeah, and then he, and then that the was, wings yeah. go off and stuff. I, I feel like that it was. It was phallic and simplistic. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not about, like, what it looked like because McNiven is a great artist and he did the best that he could with that material. But that's what it came out as, just simple and phallic um, and with the book kind of had the tone of this is this this is way better just because of that story we just got yeah it has more impact yeah that's for sure although i will say like i think that the uh the logistics of like mapping out the way that he crashed the plane in the first one is a little bit more like whoa like you know like it's a bit more exciting because this one i mean is literally just a plane crashing mm. but like but you know it's like it's a uh, yeah i don't know i had a thought like writing the notes here too where i was like did he was he thinking like oh i gotta get a plane sequence in there because everyone remembers that from the first one <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah so and then this issue ends with one of nemesis lackeys handing him a gun and he says okay let's fuck this city up and they all run onto the streets so the first half of issue four is spent on an encounter between nemesis and a wheelchair-bound woman named maggie and maggie was one of the cops who caught Matthew's parents and is one of Joe's friends. But basically, Nemesis breaks into her place with uh, Jake and Margot, the old couple from the mm -hmm. beginning, and they have a conversation, and it's, like, pretty calm. Maggie is, like, you know, she's she's old and bitter, and Joe kind of forgot about her on his way to the top, and uh, once she was injured, obviously, because, you know, she's wheelchair-bound, the system kind of just, like, forgot about her. And, you know, and she feels like kind of just like used and abused. And uh, she isn't surprised by Nemesis's appearance at her place. And, and she actually knows that it's Matthew Anderson. She's like, oh, that's not surprising. You know, <laughs> like she's like, I always figured that you would come back for us one day. And, uh, you know, nothing surprises her anymore. And they talk a bit about how, you know, 50 years ago, this is like a whole kind of side. This is a no, 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 because this is also in the speech is a moment where like looking back on it, do you not ask yourself like, fuck, how did I miss that? <laughs> like the, the, what he talks yeah. about and the whole, like the civilizations of it and all it's like, does that not remind you of any speech that you've heard in a Mark Miller book before? It does. This one is a bit more subtle in the way though, that it kind of fits with like the narrative of the story at hand. Mm -hmm. The other ones definitely feel like looking back on them now, knowing the end, I'm like, that's obvious. Okay. That's obvious. This one I feel like is like, eh, he's making a comment about like America. And, and it could have been know? either like, way, but you think about like think about like well, this is a mark miller book <laughs> yes like 
I should have thought that the whole time, but I didn't. I'm going to tell all your little Twitter friends on comics, <laughs> on the comics Twitter friends, that you got duped by all this. I'll take they, that L. And they should ban you from their uh, Illuminati <laughs> Comics Twitter Podcast Society. I have one defense uh, at the end <laughs> when we get to it, but yeah, but I do want to save it if if you're listening and you don't know the twist yet. But but anyway, so yeah, Nemesis and Maggie, they're talking about how like 50 years ago, she says that Nemesis wouldn't be able to get away with this because the American public still <clears> believed in its institutions and nowadays not so much there's some you know talk of you know like great empires falling yada 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 all that stuff and maggie asks if nemesis can make her death quick at least to which he explains that they laced her vodka that she's drinking with some lethal injection uh used uh that the same kind that was used on his parents and she becomes paralyzed and he commands jake and margo to empty her liquor cabinet all over the apartment and burn her alive there is a moment too where jake says uh he doesn't know if they can do that and nemesis asks if he wants to do this here and jake just kind of shuts up and, and falls in line something's going on with jake but anyway nemesis calls joe to tell him that maggie is about to die joe books it there in a cop car but it's too late the building lights up and we get a sweet ass shot of nemesis exiting out of the fire that's super cool. <laughs> I love that sequence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Joe has Joe like has fallen back on the ground because, you know, the explosion happened when he was running up and uh, he reaches for his gun. But Nemesis steps on his arm and he asks what he is doing. He then shoots Joe in both legs and walks away, saying he don't die till Friday, Mr. Mayor. And we then see Nemesis overlooking a city landscape. And he wonders about why the public is obsessed with superheroes. This, I should have fucking known. But whatever. <laughs> anyway, so like, he, he then wonders what they are trying to tell him as uh, he makes his way to the final challenge. And how do they connect to the forgotten president? We cut back to the hospital now in the modern day where Joe is put up. Some cops are asking why Nemesis is targeting Joe and his friends. And Joe asks why the power's back on. And they get a message on the television. Nemesis shows that he has an atomic bomb ready to level the city if he sees one person on the streets and he has drone surveillance all over and the only way to stop this is if Joe meets him at the 5pm train at the Pershing Square subway but he has to come alone and I thought about the Dark Knight thing and I was like this is Dark Knight Rises <laughs> it is it's like yes, he does it <laughs> like, I was like god damn damn like uh, how does like you know does he live next door to Christopher Nolan and you're you're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, these are Dark Knight movies and I, I don't mind it. But also, like, it's kind of bullshit. And, OK, so I'm going to tell you as someone who lived, you know, grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles area, there is nothing, no kind of threat that would keep everyone in their house, in their house yeah. like riots oh my god so i was like, gonna ask about your yeah i was like dude, i was like your experience as so, as an la person so like, no no so so like real quick tangent so like the you know i was alive in the in the 92 riots and they were like about i would say you know one city over from me but you know you got trickled effects and things that happened and like it was weird because like my family didn't know what to do. None of us knew what to do. We just saw what was on the news and what was this and that. And like the things that they didn't talk about that you end up finding out later were the worst of it. So yeah. like everything that's everything that is going on right now, there's so much material in there that is like, you know, if Miller wanted to, he could do a whole like anthology book of what's going on in the city right now. And I would fucking totally buy it. Yeah. He'd probably do a pretty good job. He would. <laughs> but uh, basically, the cops at this point, you know, they asked Joe 
what he's going to do. And he says that he has to go. And uh, we then see that his wife, Natalie, is at the hospital. I guess she's a doctor. That's a reveal. They never mentioned it. I, I hate the <laughs> stupid like rock in that Fast and Furious movie where he like breaks the <laughs> cast and goes, daddy's got to go to work. Yeah, <laughs> he, this is basically Joe's moment of that. But yes, <laughs> I hate it so much. But Joe says uh, he's like, he's like, hey, like you're supposed to be at your sister's with their son. But Natalie says it's pointless because Nemesis is always 10 steps ahead. Uh and I mean, she ain't wrong, but uh, she asked Joe if he is really going to the meeting. And Joe says he has to. Nemesis wants him dead either way. And at least maybe this will end the whole thing and save a bunch of people. And Natalie, like, you know, justifiably, I mean, she's upset and she says that it's not fair. And she's like, he's punishing you for just being like a good guy. And Joe says that everybody has flaws. He then tells Natalie to remember how much he loves her and their son. We then cut to Joe walking through the city. Uh, Nemesis streams the CCTV footage so everyone can see what's going on. And Joe gets on the train. It goes through a tunnel. When it exits, though, he is gone because Nemesis has taken Joe and strapped him to the bomb uh, underground, presumably. And he has Joe hooked up to a bunch of wiring and asks if he's ready to answer some difficult questions because the entire city is depending on him right now. We then, in this issue, where we get an epilogue showing Nemesis on his final test that he mentioned before. And uh, he's tasked with breaking into a castle and stealing something from a vault and murdering the owner, all in the name of the master. Uh, he jumps onto a white horse. Nemo horse and heads for <laughs> <laughs> and heads to the castle. No, I, God, I, I had a name for this too. Nemo biscuit. Nemo biscuit. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so, but he, while he heads to the castle, he's thinking at the end of this issue, he says, uh, the answer to everything lies inside, but I've already figured out what's going on here. I know what happened to America's lost president. I've already cracked the world's darkest secret. And the fifth and final issue then begins at the castle scene. We get clarification. It is called uh, the Castle of Reflection. And Nemesis breaks in. He brutally kills a bunch of guards. He gets into a Dragon Ball Z energy blast fight with a guy who has like a freeze ray. And Nemesis has a heat ray. And they are evenly matched. So he just shoots the guy <laughs> with a regular gun. Like you know, in his other hand, killing him. And that's the kind of nemesis stuff I like is when he just says, fuck this bullshit. And then just shoots the guy in the head. I, I love that. But like, it's also like when he gets into this guarded castle, like, does that not trigger anything to you? It did. It did. By this time, I was like, I was like, oh, something's going on. Like, you know, <laughs> but, I was yeah. like, should I should I call Morgan Freeman at some point? <laughs> but the main woman in charge of the castle, Miss Lotus, is then told uh, that they have an intruder. But she already knows for she sees it in her mirrors. And then we cut back to L.A. for the regular story. Nemesis explains uh, that he's going to ask Joe four questions. And if he lies, the detector will set off the bomb. Like first, he just asked, you know, are are you Joe Costello? Obviously, yes. He then asks if uh, he's the present mayor who was elected to clean up the streets again. Yes. He then asks how big his dick is. <laughs> and it's really dumb. And I hate that part. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's it's just like Mark, Mark, Mark Miller to do like all this great stuff. And then just throw in that one like Kevin Smith bit of it. He's like, oh, there's a turd in dicks. Yeah. yeah. And you're just kind of like, why? Why'd you need to do that? Uh, God damn it. Yeah. And so the, but the final question, the real question that Nemesis asks is to tell him everything about the Anderson murder case. And Joe starts going through it and reveals that when he and his friends couldn't solve the hitchhiker murders, they set up some local drug dealers to take the fall. The Andersons. Now, Nemesis has him repeat that. 
The bomb doesn't go off. He asks about the couple's son, and if Joe knows who the boy grew up to be, Joe realizes who Nemesis is now, and Nemesis tells his goons to switch off the nuke. He then brings out a box with his parents' skeletal remains in it, and Joe asks what this is, and Nemesis says, Well, you seem a reasonably educated man. I assume you know your classics and what follows for those who succumb to pride or arrogance or hubris like you have. And Joe asks what the fuck he is talking about, and he replies simply, Nemesis. You know, I, I never really... So, so that's... I, I think... One flaw of this series is that it never really fleshes out the cop in like, is he a really good cop or did he just kind of fail his way up? Because it was like in like in the first series, the old man cop like almost instantly figures like figures out who the cover is Mm -hmm. because he looks at his past and he's like, okay, this is the moment. This is that like this guy never figures it out until this moment. Yeah. And you're like. I thought he was supposed to be like this great cop. Yeah, but he never figures anything out. He never does to Nemesis other than like he kind of assumes like, you know, his motives, but he kind of takes his word for everything. Like he's he's a little clueless the whole time. But he seemed I think that this guy, Joe, definitely seems like a a better guy overall than Blake Morrow was. I mean, like he so it's implied, you know, things like more the the bad things he did were are more nuanced. Like, you know, I mean, like with the whole thing with Maggie, like, you know, it's like, oh, he forgot about his friend. It's like, well, I mean, we don't know his side of that. And also that does happen to people. It like, does. I mean, you know, and- no. And, and you're right. Like there is more of a like I did. I did what I did um, in service of a greater good. Where's not like- not 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 particularly this this instance, but just in general, like, oh, it led me to clean up the streets, uh, be in a position where I can affect real change. So in in a sense, it's more of a case of like the the debate can go to do the ends justify the means. Whereas like in the first series, that cop just really used the excuse of his belief system to justify everything that he did wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is kind of like the underlining, you know, meta of that first series. And here like and I'll talk about more as we finish up, but like like honestly, like looking at this now and you know, talking about it with you, like, yeah, I have like a different view of this guy where I like you look at a character in this position, like this guy's like a villain like this is supposed to go up against a super cop, but like here is where you realize like truly like yeah, this guy was just kind of an idiot all along he's just kind of a normal dude yeah i mean like and it i guess that does that leads to an assumption where you can be like oh like you know maybe he did fail up you know you know who he reminds me of in this in this particular instance is at the end of the robert pattinson batman where you're like god he's a terrible fucking detective (laughs) he's got to figure it out (laughs) he didn't figure out shit he figured stuff out eventually a little bit (laughs) <laughs> he's young <laughs> but yeah I, I will say too i remember reading this issue uh for the first time and when he did the the nemesis line there was like an an edgy part of me that was like that was kind of cool that was kind of cool <laughs> was in, like, a, in a very like 99 kind of way that was cool i was like yeah okay i could i could get down with that no but <laughs> he said the name of the book he said that's the name of the character 
character. <laughs> but but uh, we then jump back to Nemesis confronting Miss Lotus. Uh, he gets to the room she is in, and uh, she entertains his intrusion. Uh, she asks if he even knows what all of this is about, and Nemesis says that some kind of turf dispute, and his master wants her gone, and she responds saying that his master wants Nemesis upstairs with him, but there's only one way to do that, and they didn't have a big old dumb superhero fight. They use, you know, magic mirrors and freeze guns and all kinds of shit, and uh, she smacks him around while teleporting through mirrors, and she pretty much has the upper hand the entire fight. That is until she grapples him, and he aims the freeze gun at a mirror, and it freezes all of her body parts besides her head that is out of the mirror, which he smacks off barehanded. You know, like... We're, you know, this is an audio medium, so we can't really do justice. And we've been glossing over a little bit how, like, good these sequences look. <laughs> you could just tell that that he told uh, Jimenez, like, just go ape shit for, for yep. five pages, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Because <laughs> like, it's it's fucking the fight is super goddamn cool. Like, I mean, like, it, and it, it would be kind of wasted breath for me just to describe every single panel. But like, it's a uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's super awesome. It's the most Jimenez thing in this entire series, for sure. And it just it works really well. And I think, you know, I would say like the the action and there's a difference in the rendering of the action of these two series. This one for the time and when you count it among other artists currently, I'd say like these are some of the best sequences in modern comics. Yeah, I, I want to point something out, too. But this this sort of has to do with the reveal of the book at the very end, which we're about to get to. But um, it's here too, like this sequence in particular that really made me go, this is what the adaptation of he wants to move this character and this concept into this other world, right? Mm -hmm. This puts it in that more superhero realm. Yeah. Like him and his doing this because like McNiven, I mean, I would have loved to have seen McNiven draw the series. I mean, we praised him to no end on the last time we talked about him, but I was like, this is why like this, this is the stuff. Why? Because like it, McNiven could do this obviously, but it wouldn't be the same effect. I yeah. Think I don't, it, I don't think Im- impact would have been the same. I yeah. think it would have been good, but I don't think the impact would be the same. Yeah. But anyway, so cutting back to LA, uh, we see Jake and Margo and, uh, they're driving Matthew to a plane and they ask if his men killed Joe and Matthew tells them that, uh, he had Joe buried under city hall in the box with his parents' corpses left to die, which is pretty brutal. But, um, uh, he goes on, to say how the gang leaders are back in the city, the police are scared, and things are just ripe with crime back in L.A. now. And uh, when he steps out, though, it's revealed that Matthew is disguised, question mark, as Fabrice Dubois. And it's one of his many alter egos that he has set up. There is no Fabrice Dubois. That was Nemesis the whole time, apparently. And uh, he plans to get, like, you know, he's going to collect that insurance money for all the stolen stuff and move on. And uh, But there's one loose end left. He asks Jake and Margo, who really killed those hitchhikers back in the day? Who were the real murderers who got away because his parents were framed? And he reaches out and pulls two guns from his jacket, saying... Did you really think you were going to get away with this, Jake? I know what you and Margo used to get up to. He then tells them that they are going to have a duel, and whoever draws first gets to be his butler. He hands him the guns. Margo looks at her gun and headshots Jake, saying, It was him or me, boss, and it sure as hell wasn't going to be me. To which (laughs) Matthew replies, You know, I think you and I are going to get along just fine. And... My only thought, like, after seeing that was, like, why do I like this, like, dynamic so much? Like, I was like, it's like cringy supervillain and an old murdering butler lady. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of down with that, though. Like, I was like. Like, it, it's strange to think of her becoming his, his Alfred. Alfred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, 
I'm kind of into it, though. <laughs> they then take off on the plane for some business in Romania. And we then get the rest of the story from the fallout of Nemesis killing Miss Lotus. Uh, he uses her head to unlock the vault. And within, he finds the master. And the master congratulates him on a job well done and says Lotus's territory is his as a reward. And he then asks if Nemesis solved the mystery of the forgotten president. And Nemesis says as follows. His name was President Ernest George Marshall, and he was elected in 1980 on a joint ticket with Vice President Ronald Reagan. He had a brief tumultuous time in office, starting with the Iranian hostage crisis and ending with, with three alien fugitives invading the White House. He wrote the memoirs after he resigned on health grounds, and it's the only known record of both this man and how the world used to be. The master asks which was, and Nemesis continues, Events like this happening every day, but there were superheroes around to stop us. The skies filled with constant wonder, until one day they suddenly weren't. In 1986, all the supervillains got together and beat the heroes once and for all. They took over the world and made us forget that the superheroes had even existed. Now we only remember them in our dreams. And that's because, what, David? <laughs> it's the fucking same universe as wanted. Not gonna lie, I, I fucking, well, when, when so, I read this issue, you know because I texted you, but I geeked the fuck out when I read this. I was so, like... So, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, well, you, you, so you glossed over a, a few points of it visually yeah yeah okay. so as yeah. so as you know they reach into like oh 1986 this is what you see like you uh, fox see the hero, from heroes in the sky you see fox there yeah you, yeah you see you see jupiter's legacy yeah which you saw in previous issues as like advertisements to the series which you know you can be you, you can be allowed to think like oh he's being cheeky and talking about like the failure of the netflix series yeah so yeah, to speak. he's using that as a placeholder for like the big superhero movies that we have now. And yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, so you can you can gloss over that, but then you see like you see the total reveal of like Fox. And Seeing the, Fox, for, I was like, what? The fraternity of <laughs> assassins, <laughs> and then like it reveals the cape. I, mean, I think that's Jupiter. Oh, like, yeah. uh, So, so that's okay. Yeah, I have a thing about that. So, like, so the Master then shows Nemesis the famed cape, which was also in Wanted, and it's a red cape in a display that they keep as a trophy, and. From the original, oh, see, I didn't remember that yeah, part. No. So, from the original story, that's the thing. Okay, so in the original wanted story, it was very clearly a DC allegory, and this was meant to be Superman's cape, mm -hmm. like because all the characters, you know, like Fox is obviously he's supposed to be like Catwoman and shit like that. So it's like these are all characters that like are sort of DC allegories, you know, to an extent. And but I'm thinking like with this. Like, yeah, do you think he might be wanting to retcon it like this is Superior's cape or Jupiter, a Jupiter's legacy character or something like that? You know, See, like I didn't like I didn't even <clears throat> for some reason, like my brain associates Superior as like a Rob Liefeld character. Oh, <laughs> but it's it's not like like I know. But like when I when I first saw that cape, I thought like, oh, that's uh, what's his face from Jupiter's legacy. Jupiter's legacy would make sense. But but yeah. no, honestly, it could be Superior. And it's just kind of one of those things of like. Like I didn't remember that that was in want is was in wanted because I you know like it's one, wanted as a book is one of those things that like I probably read in different stages and it never really stuck with me so I couldn't remember every little detail about it I think I remember the movie more than I remember the book see I remember that scene like crazy because I I don't know why that sequence just really stuck out to me when Wesley first sees the cape like in the original series and he's just like whoa <laughs> like and, you know and, and like, yeah so like you're going through like these last few pages are literally like you know almost a, a verbatim 
you know, rendering of what happened, what happened, happened the history in the wanted. And it, and it leads up to the reveal of yes. <laughs> Wesley Gibson. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, the older Wesley Gibson. Yeah. 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 It's because he, it, yeah, we, uh, the book wraps up with uh, the master removing his helmet, telling Nemesis his name is Wesley Gibson. And yeah, my, my inner wanted fan went, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and Wesley tells Nemesis he is one of the world's secret masters and they'd like Nemesis to join them. He says they have big plans for humanity and can use Nemesis's appetite for death and destruction. He asks if Nemesis is interested. Nemesis says, fuck yeah. We then get a full page of Fox and the gang entering the room as Wesley says, good, welcome to the fraternity. Oh and- <laughs> my God. I, I didn't like, so like my, my thing wasn't, my reaction to the reveal wasn't fuck yeah. My reaction was like, I fucking missed it by one. Like <laughs> one. I literally missed it. Like if I would have just pivoted over and been like, oh yeah, it's going to be the fraternity of assassins because that's his secret organization. Yeah. Didn't go that far. Like my brain was like, all right, he's going to pull some shit because he's going to do this big event thing. So my my brain was going towards like, you remember Image United and they like for like a little bit had like that. Uh, Al Simmons was like the Omega spawn now and he's the uh-huh. bad guy of this. That's where my brain went. Oh dude. When, okay. So full disclosure, um, we're in overall thoughts, but, um, uh, this leads into an announcement at the end of the book, obviously, um, uh, that this series leads directly into the summer crossover series that Mark Miller's doing. He's, you know, been touting it for a long time over a year, I think, but I had zero fucking interest until I read this. And I was like, I w- cause, cause I didn't know what big game was. He well, just said it was a crossover featuring all of his creations and uh, all of his original creations. And I was like, I don't care about that. That's just going to be like an image United thing or whatever. But, but like, no, no, not, not because no, no, no. And it's not fair to say, and it's fair to say like, yes, I don't care about it because well i uh, my caveat is i didn't care about it until now and knowing it's like essentially a wanted sequel (laughs) yeah like 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 in a way yeah or at least like the story or at least the epilogue of the fraternity in in a point because like the premise of wanted was that the fraternity controlled everything and they were essentially an evil organization yes but like you know and it's fair to say like you don't like when this was first announced it's fair to say that it had minimal impact with the announcement just because all these things were always so self-contained. And, you know, as an audience, you know, you kind of see it as like there is there is a fatigue that is admitted to to a certain extent of like we're tired of events and we're tired of like, oh, you have to keep up with this. You have to keep up with that. Yeah. And these things were so self-contained that you can never really think about like how they would be pulled together or like why you would care, why you would care. Like, and, yeah. But you would also kind of like in the sense of, well, to, to, sorry, just to say it, these things were spread out across like different publishers yeah. for a long time. So you didn't really know, like even if he retained the right to sell his stuff to Hollywood, you didn't know who could still publish these books. So you didn't know where these characters could reside and wanted introduced a lot of good stuff but you always thought of that as like oh well that's a top cow book even if top cow's under image yeah like he's probably never going to touch that again because he never did (laughs) he's already he already sold it that's how he got into hollywood so like it's not he probably won't go back to that until he needs the money and then you know he did all this other stuff that was really good so you kind of forget about other stuff that he's done before and you know when you look at like 
the properties that they list on there at the end. So like, you know, he's got kick-ass Kingsman magic order. So like kick-ass Kingsman on its own kind of like, okay, cool. Yeah. Those could kind of cross somehow. Yeah. But then you're like magic order. And I know it's a good series, but you're kind of like, that's not really like high on the well-known stuff. Yeah. It's a newer one too. Never read Empress. I never read space bandits. I still haven't read the ambassadors. I think that's a brand new one too. It just finished. Yeah. I, I never, I think I never got past the first series of Jupiter's legacy. Same here. I never, I never finished Jupiter's legacy after super crooks. I have not read. I do need to read that. Uh, I never read superior. Um, I read Chrononauts. Chrononauts was great. I read Reborn. Reborn was good. Uh, MPH, I, I like. It was a good series. Is Starlight on there, too? Starlight's on there. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I, I think I read Starlight. I don't really remember it. So you don't really realize how many pieces are on the chessboard. Yeah. And, and my thing, too, and I hate to, like, criticize the book before it comes out, because with it sort of being billed as, like, a wanted sequel now, I'm more invested a hundred percent more invested than I was, you know, but like I, my biggest like hurdle with ever like really wanting to care about this upcoming crossover from Miller is just the fact that like, I'm like, okay, I like a lot of Miller series. And as you know, from the the last episode we did, I kind of had like a crisis of <laughs> midlife crisis fucking going through Miller books and rediscovering him and really appreciating like a lot of even like his newer work. But I wouldn't say that like, I care about like a lot of like the characters in particular and uh, like a lot of them I'll be straight up like I don't remember a lot of their fucking names even you know like in books that I like you know like it's just like I like the story and it was cool but like I'm I'm like who do I care about like seeing interact with other people like it's like okay Kickass is a memorable cool character that everyone likes you know Dave Zelensky um but who would I like to see him interact with of uh, I don't know, fucking nemesis, I guess. I don't know. Like, you know, it's like, I, I don't like, I don't know who, like, you know, I really care about, but like, and so, for so, some, one had never entered my mind that it would be a part of this, you know, you know, no, <laughs> like, no, 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 yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, but you're, and you're absolutely right to an extent, you know, he's never been great at characterization. His strength is more in the plot of things. Yeah. Like I like I so you know every writer has a style they have their weaknesses and strengths. You know, if you go into some comic book stores, especially in Long Beach, um <laughs> some some dickhead behind a counter will tell you like, "Oh yeah, Robert Kirkman, he's a terrible dialogue writer, but he does everything else good." And I'm like, "I I like his dialogue yeah. fine." Like <laughs> it's so, all all obviously subjective, but you know, it's just yeah. like I I just that my personal experience with Miller is is just that in the way where I'm like I like the stories, but like a lot of like the the specifics about the characters, like like I said, I mean, I I I loved Chrononauts, but I don't fucking remember those guys' names or same, anything, you know. Same, <laughs> like I, I, like, I like, there's a funny one and the, the slightly serious like, one. Like, like we're I, talking about <laughs> Jupiter's Legacy. I remember really liking that first series. But can't remember the names of any of those characters. Yeah, yeah. Like when you saw them on the page. Like I call every one of those characters. Oh, that, that's Jupiter's legacy. That's Jupiter's that's, legacy. That's like, Jupiter. no, they have characters. I don't remember that one's them. Jupiter and that one's legacy. Yes. No. <laughs> that one's, which one's run and which one's DMC. Yes. But like, so, so, so there is a sense of, yeah, like it, it these for to put a, an event without characters that are really like that, that, that are really ingrained in kind of like the zeitgeist of the audience you need two things. You need a hell of a premise, which it is to to an extent, even if you are just 
like a casual reader of stuff from the, the Miller world, it's a great premise that, okay, we know that there was the secret society in this one book and now that's going to cast a shadow on everything. So you need that premise and you need some kind of big, like you need a big moment that is the shock and awe. And that can either be at the beginning. So like civil war, the explosion with the, uh, with school, uh, or it can be kind of like at, um, you know, let's say in, infinity well not infinity gauntlet because that had the beginning but like um so i'll say one of my favorites is um executioner's song where cable and strife um kind of throw each other into oblivion at some point mm-hmm. you're like wow they killed each other like completely and so you you need and i'm very curious to see what mark miller is going to do for like the moment of this series because yeah it sets up a lot of it's visually very intriguing, like especially the very last image of the last issue is like the cover of number one or something mm-hmm. where, you know, it's it's Wesley Gibbs with Wesley Gibson with, Nemesis with a Nemesis behind him and the society I'm like, OK, that looks cool. Yeah. But what's on the other side of that? Yeah, I'm very curious. We'll dovetail this into uh, some big game questions I have at the at the end here. Uh, but uh, I just want to know about in this book, Nemesis Reloaded in particular, kind of a general question, but like. Do you think this succeeds uh, as a soft reboot, like in being good? You know, in, in for the initial series, I think we kind of both came to the conclusion like midway through of like, no, sorry, uh, of this is dated and I wouldn't recommend it. And I think this because it made you it didn't give you anything to care about. It was just popcorn. You watch it once. Your life's no better, no worse for it. This like we were talking about succeeded in making this an actual character. Like it gave it, it gave, you know, Matthew, the character, it gave him some kind of depth and something to grab onto because it wasn't just a story of two opposing forces. Like this was Matthew's story. This was never Joe's story. This was never any other character's story in this book because especially with the origin stuff helped out a lot. The updated origin goes a long way for me. It does. Like in the way where, yeah, I think that overall I view this book as like, I think it's a positive for me. I mm-hmm. mean, like, I, I mean, and it's mostly due to that. I mean, like the story itself, like, you know, the I guess the quote unquote, like main story of, you know, Los Angeles and, you know, Joe Costello and stuff is like it's more or less beat for beat, kind of the same thing. Um, but it is done better, I think, in terms of how it's told. Agree. Uh, I agree with that. I mean, like um, and, you know, uh, plenty of memorable sequences, just like the first one had, uh, which was about the only positive that me or you gave it. Yeah. was like, you know, I mean, uh, was that there was some really cool McDivin shit in there. But like this one. Yeah. I mean, like he he reined it in in the way that I wanted him to <laughs> like, you know, like I was like, modernize this. If you really committed to this idea. So, like, so you, know, you know, here here's here's the funny thing about this. And as I like we were talking about it, as I was saying, like, yeah, I, I did kind of change my opinion on this book as we we're talking about it. I came in here and my initial thought was this book date stamps itself like the other series where I, I even forgot what like it seemed like that series was trying to say. And when I first read this one, I thought, oh, he's just he's just talking about, you know, he's just a cabbing the whole thing. Yeah. But 
and the reality is, as we were talking about it, you just kind of realize like, no, this is literally just uh, this is just the comic book story. It's not really putting its like like it is stamping itself to a degree. Oh, well, like just, most comics just do on now, the surface. Though, yeah. But like that's not like there's no meta commentary of it because like we were talking about, he created a, a scene and a scenario and, you know, a, an environment where there there are no good guys, truly. And it's all just shades of gray. So you can't. So it's not really. A, he went like, shades of gray instead of all shitty. Oh, yeah, in this totally. <laughs> so it's crazy. So, you know, I, I I changed my opinion of the book as we were talking about it. And I, I don't think I've ever come across another series where I've done that. Yeah, I mean, it, well, and it takes a unique perspective, too. We have a unique perspective on this, considering that we deep dove the first one together, you know, like in this format and stuff. So it's like, it, yeah, I mean, like I, I kind of felt that I'll admit in the midst of the series when we would when the issues would come out, I'd text you basically two, three and four and even one to an extent. I was probably a bit more positive on one, but all the issues leading up to five, I was basically like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't suck. You know, <laughs> like I'm like, you know, like <laughs> it's like the art's cool and it doesn't suck. And, and like, and then at the end, I was, I, I got totally, you know, sidelined by the hype train of, of the fact that it was a tied into wanted. Yeah. And uh, so I was really, <laughs> I'm sure that you remember the text that I sent you. I was like, did you read fucking Nemesis Reloaded number five, motherfucker? <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, but, you know, like so you were like, don't fucking tell me anything. <laughs> I, okay, I like, so I think um, not only that was that long ago. Um, this is like a month ago at the time of this yeah, recording. So, <laughs> um, God, so I'm trying to look at because I don't think it really. Oh shit! I send you. Okay, so I um, so I and I know as we were talking about this, I kind of tell you, hey, well, like, how did you not pick up on this? And it's easy to like to look and go like, oh, well, I'm just an armchair quarterback. Um, but no, like, like when I look at um, our, our messages and stuff. Oh, yeah. Because you were like, oh, I was truly not expecting Wesley to show up. Ha ha. <laughs> I, I reply to you. How? Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think so. I think my eyes glazed over all that fucking shit. Like, so, like when I first read it, I, I, I think it like, was like issue three where I picked up the on superhero shit where, where I picked that. up on. Yeah. Okay. So he is going to bring it back to something early from his career. And I just couldn't get away from kick ass wanted had not like, there were hints of it and I'm like, okay, yeah, he's done the secret society stuff before, but I don't think he's going to go back to that specific thing. And I kept talking myself out of it or I kept talking myself out of it being Wesley Gibson. And like, I don't know why, but it was just funny. So like when we were talking, talking about this and how, how, oh, well, yeah, this is the reveals and everything. Yeah. It's because Mark Miller isn't, the most complex writer out there. No. It's not Neil Gaiman. No. Not making me think about these big overarching ideas. Like this guy is literally trying to just entertain me with a story. It's a good one, but I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. I think that this is interesting with his, uh, his little introduction from issue one, where he says, uh, it just kind of sums it up. 
where he says, what's the fascination with this project? How did Steve and I make more money from this concept than we did from even Civil War, Marvel's biggest selling graphic novel of all time? It was literally just four issues. There's also so many things I do differently now, and this is the curse of being a published writer. Once your project is out there, there's nothing you can do, right? And then he goes on to talk about the beauty of the soft reboot and stuff and how he wants to do something different if he could go back, you know, type of thing. And uh, I was like, I think he succeeded in with that mentality of doing this book. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting question, because I don't think there's ever a point where when you write something, you can't go back to it if you're not happy with it. Yeah. I mean, like, unless if it's like, you know, fucking like if it's some own kind of publishing dispute I ownership, mean, if, thing, if it's but, owned by somebody else, that's a different story. Yeah. But if you own something, you put it out there, even if somebody helped you do it, as long as you still own that property, you can always go back to it. And I think that this is kind of the blueprint of admitting to your mistakes and going back and fixing them. He definitely it definitely feels that way. Yeah. And and like I said, he clearly has an affinity for, you know, this character and concept and stuff. And uh, I, I, I definitely think, you know, how harsh I was on the last one and I still feel justifiably so, but like, you know, he, like I said, he kind of did exactly what I wanted him to do with this. If he was going to do it again, you know, you know, <laughs> so it's, like, you know, what's crazy is that besides the dick stuff there, there, there's so much evidence that points to, he probably heard us <laughs> and, and like wrote a lot of this because like in the original, in the original series, we talked about the whole dark night of it. I like to think that since the wanted stuff didn't come up to like issue three, he was like, oh, this guy likes fucking wanted. I'll put fucking wanted in there. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> but like, so, so like we talked about the dark night stuff in the first series. What the fuck does he do in this series? He does another dark night plot. The Bane plan. You know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, these cheeky bastards. I'm going to fuck with their heads. So good. I'm like, all right. That is it. That, uh, I feel like that almost has to be on purpose at this point. Like not not saying he's fucking with us, but I mean, like the fact that he was like, I took this Dark Knight plot from this one and now I'm taking the fucking Dark Knight Rises plot. Like it's like it's, it's some kind of weird parallel thinking there. But like, but either um, I did want to talk about it real quick. We did mention it a bit and I feel like we probably summed it up well enough. But just to clarify, McNiven pitted against Jimenez. I think that Jimenez was the logical choice for this, considering what this is leading to. If this was going to be a bridge to a big game, especially with an artist like Pepe Larraz drawing big game. Yeah. Like it makes sense. If you're ingratiating Nemesis, who was in the McNiven stuff, just an asshole dressed like a superhero in the real world. But you want to ingratiate him into a world with actual superheroes and villains and shit. You get a superhero. Artist, you get a superhero yeah. artist. And like not to say McNiven is not one. He's great. We've praised the hell out of him on the last episode. But like this is like. It totally makes sense. To but me. but yeah, but I, I think we talked about it in the last episode where I, I think I compared McNiven as, you know, Marvel's kind of Brian Boland. Yeah. You know, just a guy who is a fantastically amazing artist, but doesn't necessarily have to be a comic book artist. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind very of like- much like a comic book, like a comic book specific artist went in with a comic book specific idea. Yeah. And it works. It works. It, it does works on amazingly on well. every level visually. The series is action movie defined kind of kind of thing. You know, it really just like I I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but I think a lot of and not and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but a lot of the first series it was 
you know, the, the story or lack of one and kind of McNiven's goal to visually make me walk away with a feeling of like, I don't know, murkiness. Yeah. After having read it, this one, you don't get that feeling. Like, no, this was totally everything. Everything worked visually. Story wise. Yes, it is. There's a simplicity to it still. That's just inherent of what of what Mark Miller does. But that doesn't mean that it's bad in any way. No, no, not at all. I think I think one of the main things that I think of when I think of, you know, his writing working really well is like some of that recent stuff that I had read at the time of the first Nemesis episode, but just mentioning books like Huck and Reborn and stuff. And it's like, those are like fairly simple premises and straightforward stories, but like they're really entertaining and well executed, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, uh, so are you excited now for big game? I think I was always I I think I was always interested in big game. I think like, you know, everybody's going to take whatever news differently. And even though you, you know, admittedly weren't really excited by the announcement, I was I was piqued by the announcement. Like I because I know most of the catalog of stuff that he has to work with. Yeah. And I was just I was piqued by my curiosity of how the fuck is he going to make all this make sense? Because so many of these things take place in worlds that don't seem like they would belong. Yeah. In other worlds. Yeah. Do you have any predictions, big or small? For big game? Yeah. Uh, so I think the so if you had to go by um, Ultimate Universe and Civil War, does Mark have a style to his events? He takes big swings. He takes big swings, but his focus is always very small. So even like if you yeah. see all these properties, chances are, and I, I could be wrong about this, even if you see all these properties, chances are he's going to very clearly define it as the one, like a story of one or two people, basically. I, yeah, I, I that's what I hope. I hope for, and I think that I, after the fifth issue of Nemesis Reloaded came out, I swear I saw an interview or watched one where he referred to Big Game as a wanted sequel. So like, if it's wanted focused with just like all these other things kind of tangentially there, you know, like I'm totally fine with that. Like I, I, I want to see Who's what he, he doing does. interviews with still. Well, it's a, he has a I YouTube he, channel. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. like I get, the, I get the emails from like, um, and he posts it on like his Twitter and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, Cause yeah. I get the emails from images, PR and everything. And they have never once offered me Mark Miller. I don't think he, I would, I don't think he does interviews. No, I don't like, think he does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like he, he just does he just, them when he wants to. <laughs> yeah. He just talks when to out to the world when yeah. he wants to, I'm just yeah. totally fine. Yeah. But like he, um, I swear I, he said something about this being akin to like, yes, it's it's a wanted sequel. And he could have just been saying that as in like one, it is heavily involved, you know, mm. but like I really do hope that it has like a firm focus like that. And it isn't like just this nonsensical bullshit thing that like, you know, it's just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of toys clashing together. Like, although I will say for small predictions, I do want to see kick ass or hit girl interact with nemesis <laughs> i would like to see that but i'm like you know as far as like what i think we're really gonna see i'm not really sure plot wise but if it is a wanted sequel and wanted focused i would think that it would be about wesley my prediction would be he because he mentions how at the end you know he's he's one of the secret masters of the world right maybe the society the fraternity is tired of being in the shadows 
Yeah. So like when you kind of look at these books, you can all and just it's natural. Like when you saw um, Avengers versus X-Men, like you think about who's going to interact, who's going to fight with each other. I think we're going to get um, a hit girl versus nemesis. I'll fucking take it. Um, <laughs> at least in one, at least that should incorporate at least one entire issue. Yeah. And or be like a main fight, like in the, yeah. In one of the issues. Or like actually, um, uh, you know, like the society resurrects uh, big daddy or whatever. Yeah. And I think you're going to get either Eggsy or, or Harry uh, versus Wesley Gibson. That would make sense. And then I don't know how any of these other pieces like fit together. <laughs> I saw like on, on one of the issues, it might be like issue three or maybe it's four. They released the cover for, I'm not sure. But um, one of them has two members prominent on the cover uh, from that recent series, the ambassadors. So I'm assuming they're going to have something to do with it, but that's a pretty good series, by the way, if you're listening to this, I'd check, I'd recommend it. It's pretty good. I, yeah, that's one, that's one I've been meaning to actually like finish. I've, you know, I, I read the first couple and I it's good. I just it was one of those things that just kind of falls off the list. It had like every artist that I love in it. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, I got to check it out. But yeah. Yeah. But when you look like I'm, I'm trying to look at covers right now, you know, in, in issue two, like they have Superior. Yeah. On yeah. the cover front and center by by Linnell. And like, I can't identify any of the other people on this cover. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's that giant list at the end of this book that has like all the properties that I guess will for sure be involved but when he's mentioned it he's kind of only mentioned like five he's been like wanted kingsman kick-ass magic order is one and uh i think the ambassadors like his new one so uh, hopefully you know like i said he could juggle all that because this is only going to be like five issues too so have, like, have you read any of those other supposedly like road to big game issues that they've talked about that are like supposedly they're important to what's coming up i think the only ones that i've read really have been this and the ambassadors and the ambassadors didn't really have at least to my knowledge yet i mean that could prove to be you know prove to be vital at least like once big game starts but like the ambassadors seems pretty self-contained as well you know i mean like it leaves it itself open to other stories but not necessarily big game stuff because i i thought in the solicits he also mentioned or that it also mentions about like something like one of the magic order books was like this is on the road to big game so magic order uh four yeah which is is still coming out right now he said that that one does but i read those in trade so mm. i have not read uh volume four yet I've, I've read up to three which all of those are definitely self-contained their own thing you know so uh so i don't know yeah i mean like maybe there's a big build-up in magic order he he loves that book so <laughs> like i'm sure he's gonna be pushing that pretty hard but and so you know and in, in the cover or in like the image at the end of at the very last page of this series um it has uh like like we're talking about them all sitting around but they're standing over the um over like you know the costumes and or stuff from the nightclub kids yeah oh yeah nightclub that's another one that i think but i've said. never i haven't heard of that series being like a lead in to it also our buddy um uh who does the panel to panel podcast um uh, he was on the show he did the superman red sun book with me another mark miller book but mm -hmm. he was reading nightclub he said it's really good <laughs> but marty uh shout out to marty but yeah um so i don't know but yeah i don't know how much that would tie in i mean like this one seems like it's by far going to be the most overt tie-in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I mean like, th this is know? like, this is the one that you have to read or else 
Like if you didn't read this and you just picked up big game, you're going to be like, well, when the fuck did they bring this guy back? Yeah. And it's it's a shame because this is a good this is a good series. Yeah, it was pretty good. So before we do the obligatory uh, pull it or drop it, David, um, I got to ask you arguably the most important question. And I feel like we already answered it, but it's still a funny question. Does Nemesis still suck? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wanted to childishly respond with my own penis size. <laughs> I will I will I will refrain from that. I'm gonna, I'm going to take the high road. Um, does Nemesis as a character still suck? Sure. <laughs> this is a different character, and I don't That's think true. I yeah. don't like this is this went in you know, and sometimes it takes looking back on things, but this is a 100% superior version of the character. It's crazy how just a couple of minor tweaks actually make a good villain. <laughs> I know. And, and, and there was a, here's the weird part, though, is that it's not like it was unheard of during the first series to do stuff like this. Oh, not at all. I like, mean, like we, flashbacks aren't a new thing. Um, you know, tragic origins aren't a new thing. Definitely not. It was it was just the choice back then to be like, well, this guy is going to be more of like uh, he's Batman if he was a villain and irredeemable, but his mentality is sort of more like the Joker. So we're going to do that for that character and not define him at all. Yeah. But that was, it's kind of a crime at, even at the time. And looking back on it, when you do that and you, we, you know, live in a world where, you know, we admittedly, um, watch things more for the villains than we do the heroes at times. So, yeah, you go back and you look at it and you're like, how can I make this character watchable? Yeah. And they totally succeed. Yeah, I agree. Like the whole because they also did do in in the first series, the backstory of the cover of Matthew Anderson. And, you know, that was it was dumb, but it was a story. And then they pull it out from under you by saying, like, that wasn't him at all. But, but even going with the the fake origin from the first one, he's he's still more of an asshole than he is in yeah. this one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like because, like, well, because the origin itself is very first world problems. First of world like, problem. Like, like just, you know, snively like he, he, he. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's if Mr. Burns was your dad and you grew up shitty and now you expect me to feel sorry for you. I, I don't like yeah. this it's one. Like that version of Matthew, if, if that origin was the truth would have grown up to be shitty, whether his parents were around or not. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like in this Matthew, you're like, OK, his parents were drug dealers, but they like there's, there's, a, there's like a far that cry from a drug dealer to a murderer. Fuck yeah. And and also the fact that like they the hints that you get from him is like they were good parents to him. Like, you know, <laughs> like we kind of glossed over that a little bit. But he mentions things like, you know, like when he, when he's talking to the cops on the boat, he's just like he's like you took that away from me, you know, like and it's like I, I can never know my parents now, like, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like it's very human in a way where you're like. That's kind of mature for a unimesis. I'm not used to this. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, because like you do certain things and they and like we were talking about with the Punisher. So like the Punisher goes you know, the Punisher, you know, they did the backstory with Jason Aaron and you kind of reveal like, oh, he was always going to be the mm -hmm. Punisher because he had those tendencies. But when you change that one thing about oh, his wife was going to divorce him. We don't know. We don't know why they were going to. We don't know the whole story about why. But you change that and it, it just makes something intrinsically different in the character. Yeah. And I and I think here 
I don't think they really I think they just changed by going by leaning into that backstory of it and saying like, okay, like we're going to do a backstory, but this time it's going to be one that makes people actually like have an ounce of sympathy for this character. Yeah. And it works. It does. Yeah. They will. Uh, unless you got anything else you want to chomp at the bit to say, um, I'll ask you the question. Nemesis Reloaded, is that a pull or a drop, David? You know, like, I came in here and I was going to tell you, I, I came through that door and I was like, I'm going to tell this fucker to drop it and see what he says. <laughs> but, you know, as we were talking about it, and I thought, like, because of the end and the reveal and I originally wasn't going to go along with that. As we were talking about it, had like, halfway through, I'm like, you know... I really actually like the story and I really think that it is worth reading even just on the popcorn level of it, but it has so much more to it. And especially I will recommend it with no caveats, but I will say that it could potentially be even more important depending on how good or bad big game is. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I guess just since it's such a recent book, I'll, I'll throw in that I would pull it as well. I will say that after having this conversation and really going through it with somebody else, it's a more enthusiastic pull. Yeah. I think I was always going to be like, overall, that's over the 50% mark. Like, you know, mm. I, it's a pull for me. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm more enthused about this having gone through it, you know, in depth the way that we do on this show. And uh, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying I'm, I'm ready for big game. <laughs> we'll be back for it when it's so, done. So by the time by the, by, by the time <laughs> you put this out, like we'll be I'll be at San Diego and big game one will have already been out. It's uh, I, this episode. I'm planning to drop it, um, I think, the week before big game comes out okay big game one so uh it'll be coming out if you're listening to this in real time yeah i guess that's it well uh i i was gonna propose this to you as well too uh depending on actually we probably would have done it either way but um whether this went badly or not but um uh, <laughs> uh but i want to propose that when big game ends you and i cover it on here but we do like a double episode we do want it as well. Oh, we do a big, big game. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not in the same episode, but do the episodes back to back or something, you know? Yeah, like we'll, a, we'll figure that out because I think how many issues is big game? Five? It's going to be five. From July. So that puts it around December. It'll January. be ending at the end of the year. Oh, know. I can't go not being on this show till January. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> No, we'll no. do one before then. Then uh, I, I guess I, I've, I've, no, 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 I'm, I'm kidding. Like we can, well, especially totally too. Um, cause like, and you know, uh, me and Kara are in the process of moving out to, uh, to Vegas, uh, at the beginning of next month. So like I'll come back here to do shows like right now we're in the middle of the planet anime process of building that. And you know, if you're within the sound of my voice, you better be going. Um, <laughs> it's going to be good. And then, you know, I have to figure out uh, Planet 25th anniversary show for next year. And which um, if I am around still and haven't, you know, retired from conventions like I always yeah. plan to, um, you know, I'll, I'll be back to designate this podcast as our official podcast of 25th anniversary. Oh, there we go. Um, I, I do have that power. It's an honor. Um, and so, you know, 
yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I, and I think I'd be down to do, um, wanted and big game for sure. We might get someone else on big or on wanted as well, because like a first time reader since we've both read it. But, um, uh, just because that is a book that I've had on my list forever. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Oh, I think, um, I'm going to say, I don't, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Scott hasn't read wanted. He'd be good for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Even it's not, a it's not a Frank Miller book. Like, I'm a Frank Miller guy. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's such a allegorical DC book, too. I think he might get a kick out of that. He might. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, I do remember the one thing I was going to say before we wrap up here. If Big Game ends up being a straight up wanted sequel, like he's kind of implied. And again, it might not be that. But if it is. He missed an opportunity to call it most wanted. Uh, no, <laughs> you got to go cheese. No, 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 no. Because it's the same thing about like, um, or wanted dead or alive. No, <laughs> no. I, like, I, I don't think I like, I think wanted Two is a dumb title. <laughs> So like if he like I'm surprised he didn't call this wanted dot dot big game <laughs> uh, or colon big game. Wanted. But, um, like I, I don't think. Yeah, I, I if some dumb like it's got to be dumb. Big game is a dumb title. I'll just oh, get that out of the way. Right hey, hey, <laughs> I will. I, I and everyone else who played Cabela's. <laughs> hunting games as a child will take offense to that but um no like i don't i don't think big game is the strongest title for an event um and i don't think like calling your event uh world war miller world war miller would have been a good title either so i don't think there was really i I think he doesn't have anybody to do titles right now (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh well he did the best he could and and i will say just mark you got me on board hopefully i'm still on board after big game uh mark (laughs) we know you listen to this because you wrote in all those dark knight stuff so i will say like (laughs) i've always been on board with this and um I'm sorry that I did not recommend First Wanted, but yeah, dude, come on. Yeah, if he listened to that, he's definitely never listening to us again, but, yeah, but that's, that's okay. Let's see, so, uh, well, there you have it, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash none of my friends like comics. You get this show early, you get movie commentaries, bonus podcasts, all for as little as a dollar a month. It's never expected, but it is always appreciated. You can follow the show on Twitter at NoComics friends for updates email the show at none of my friends like comics at gmail.com mark it okay to air and we will read your message on the air and respond uh be sure to check out i'm on another show called now listen to this with uh, some buddies who are on here a lot of the time max and brett we talk about music and stuff and i'm, I'm way more mean on that one uh, and lastly if you like this show please tell your friends and family who might be interested to give us a listen we are on anchor spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and stitcher thanks again for listening and we will see you on the next page only the episodes that i'm on mm-hmm.